Good morning. It's springtime, and it happens every year. It's the same thing. It's a trap. It's a trick. If you're a gardener like me, you fall for it every single time in West Texas. They push them out in those big Home Depot stores. What do they do? They take the flowers, they, you know, they push them out in the street, and the smell goes wafting, and all the garden addicts like me come running. We're going to buy flowers, and it always happens in this time. It's 85, and, you got, and we buy all these flowers and petunias. We take them home and put them in the ground. It happened to me the first two or three times when I moved back here. Sure enough, it's 85 on Sunday, and then all of a sudden on Wednesday, it's 25, and they're dead. Anybody else? Hundreds of dollars worth. Hundreds of dollars worth of flowers gone. And then the next time, the next year I tried it and I'm out there, you know, I plan them, it's not going to happen. And then, of course, the weather, port, and I'm out there putting my t shirts and my kids' pajamas on top of flowers and I'm trying to put a, 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 a hair dryer. I'm like, no, Lord, how could you? And he goes, because I'm God and you're not, you know, it just, every time, it, it just got to be a, a bad habit. And finally, my, with my wife, she's like, we're in, we're in Home Depot, and I'm going by there, and I start turning that way, and I'm like, Ulysses and the Iliad, she likes to tape, uh, duct tape me to the carry and, and turn me away from the sirens, because they're here, buy me, buy me, I won't die. And I have to just not do it. I have to say, get behind me, you petunias, you marigolds, you know, and wait. Because <laughs> I'm always the sucker, right, that they, that they know. They, they should be, it's the law in Texas, in West Texas. So how do you know when to plant? How do you know when to put your annuals out and to not lose all, all that great greenery? Well, apparently there's three different ways. Uh, the old adage is that you don't plant anything like that until Mother's Day. Wait till Mother's Day. That's what a lot of people say in West Texas. The other one, the ranchers, the farmers say, when the mesquite starts to bloom in the country, then you're good. But my wife just recently, just this year, said there's another way. You know, we have a few animals in our life. I don't even know what's in the backyard. It, it will get arrested if I did. But we have this little guy. His name is Rillo. Rillo the Red. He's an ornate box turtle. This is what he looks like. He's one of our, one of our pets. And this is, this, is, this, is, this is Rillo. Now, Rillo, an ornate box turtle, not a tortoise, when it starts to get cold, August, September, she go, he goes underground, deep enough under the permafrost, and stays there all fall, all winter. And when you see Willow come up, you're good to go. It means, means that you can plant. Now, he hadn't come up yet, so if you see me at Home Depot loaded up to tackle me, call my wife, call the police, get me out of there, right? I'll be in trouble. But that's what he isolates and goes deep down in the ground and stays there buried, isolated by himself in the dark most of the year. Contrast that to our other animal that we have somewhere in my house. This is Rainbow. Rainbow is a panther chameleon. Rainbow has an amazing ability to change her color based on her environments. And like other comedians, it actually change and camouflage the environment around them. Where, uh, Rainbow assimilates and she immerses herself in the culture. Now, why in the world am I talking about, it's just not to please my wife, but turtles and chameleons? When Christ says, when he's praying for us in the garden, that high priestly prayer, he prays that we not be like rain, not, not like rainbow and not like rillo, not like the turtle or like the chameleon, that we be different. Look at that scripture again. John 17, 14 through 17, it says this. He's praying not just for the disciples before he goes to give his life for us. He prays for us. He said, I'm not just praying for the disciples, I'm praying for anyone that comes to believe. He's praying for us before his death. He says this, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, 
for they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. Jesus says we have a problem as believers. We either want to turtle, be the turtle Christians, or we want to be chameleon Christians. That we tend to be one or the other. We want it to be isolated and sacred and not in the world and not of it. Or we want to be totally immersed and sacred in it and of it. And we tend to go one way or the other. That turtle Christian, they don't dance or chew or go with girls that do, like my grandma used to say. They're country club Christians. They're huddled in their holy huddle in their private Christian schools behind their high walls with their Christian neighbors. And, and they, they don't get anywhere near the unclean, the, the, un, the unbeliever. We won't, we won't, you know, SpongeBob SquarePants is the Antichrist and Harry Potter's a witch and Disneyland is, you know, evil. And we, we, we're so secular, I mean, so sacred that we do nothing secular. Only Americans do that, by the way, separate sacred and secular. The, the Jews never did that. We, 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 someone said that uh, after two years of conversion in adults, 50% of Christians don't have any non-believing friends. 50% of Christians after two years have no non-believing friends. George Barna says in his study of the evangelical church, only 19% of Christians are proactive in looking for ways to share their faith with non-believers. 19% of Christians are proactive in looking for ways to share their, play, their faith with non-believers deep in the ground, safe and isolated and insulated from those pagans. He also says that 61% or 6 out of 10 Christians said that a person should not share their faith with others because it's judgmental or disrespectful. That would be like finding the cure to cancer and saying, I don't want to offend you with having the cure to cancer. Then there's not just the turtle, but there's the other side, the chameleon Christian. Someone says that we live like hell on Friday and Saturday and pray to heaven on Sunday. We, we put a fish in our car as we go screaming down the highway, shaking our fist and having rage at other drivers. Take the fish off your car. We use Jesus' name at church, then we yell Jesus' name on the golf course after a bad shot. Peter Scacera says we abuse alcohol, sex, and money in the same way non-believers. We get just as divorced, we gossip just as much, we scream at our kids' umpires and, and coaches just as much as non-believers. We vacation just the same way the pagans do. We're nominal, we're secret service Christians, we're lukewarm. People can't tell the difference. And Jesus says it shouldn't be either way, isolated or immersed, sec sacred or secular. He says that's not what I've called my followers to be like. Someone said that evangelism is merely one beggar showing another beggar where the bread is. So I Gandhi said, I like your Jesus, I don't like your Christians. I was driving down off of, uh, going down I-40 and, and getting off there at Sansi, and there's one of those electronic billboards that flips the screens. I'm sitting there in traffic, the few traffic that we have in Amarillo, and the first billboard that pops up says, <laughs> and the wicked shall perish and go to hell. Come, to our, come join us at church, <laughs> so-and-so church. I'm like, who's the PR person at that church? <laughs> who's wasting that money? And I can just see a family going along, and the kids look up and go, the wicked are going to hell. Daddy, Daddy, can we go to that church? And then the next billboard flipped over, and it says, Shinerbach, the beer of Texas. And I'm just thinking of those two messages. There's a college kid in front of me, and they, he and a couple of guys, and they see the first one, and they're laughing at the one about hell. They see the Shinerbach, they go, yeah! You know? <laughs> and what a contrast to our culture. Are we the, they go to hell, the hellfire and damnation bullhorn, you know, on the corner Christian that's turning the world off and not involved? Are we like the Shinerbach, you know, like nobody knows we're believers, we're secret service. What's your billboard? What's our billboard supposed to say? Well, neither one of those. 
Jesus says it's always been a problem with his followers. In Matthew 11, 18 and 19, he says the Pharisees, the, 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 the great religious leaders of the day, they did the same thing to his disciples. They, they, they tried to stereotype them and pigeonhole them into one or the other. Matthew 11 said this, 18 through 19. Jesus is talking. He's talking to the Pharisees. He goes, look, John, the Baptist, came neither eating nor drinking. And they say he has a demon. John was a Puritan. John was a goody-goody. John was an abstainer. And you say he has a demon. I come, the Son of Man come, eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You can't have it either both ways, guys. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. John was a Puritan. Jesus was a partier. How do we follow Jesus' challenge but not a sinner, right? How do we follow Jesus' challenge to be both in the world but not of it? Not a turtle but not a chameleon, but maybe amphibious. My last animal illustration, I promise. I live, with, I live with an animal collector. Amphibians can live in the land and in water. and They're comfortable, and they're the same person in both. They're not two different animals. How can we be spiritually amphibious, spiritually ambidextrous, and be in the world but not of it? Well, let's look at the best, one of the best examples of somebody that was fully involved in their kingdom in the world and their kingdom of heaven. Let's go to Daniel, the first chapter of Daniel. Daniel 8, we'll start in, 21, or start in 8 through 21. If you want to turn to Daniel First chapter, starting verse 8. Here's the scenario. It's 605 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans have wiped out the Egyptians who were in partnership with the Jews, with Israel, and so they also raised and tore down Jerusalem. They took the best of Jerusalem from the gold to the temple artifacts to the best of the citizens, the smartest, the scholars, the doctors, and the best children of the elite. And they took them 600 miles away to Babylon. When they get there, King Nebuchadnezzar tells his eunuch in charge of the kids, says, I want four Jewish kids, and I want four or five more of our noble kids from our culture, and I want you to trade for three years. I want to have them come eat in my palace, meat from my table, wine from my table, and I want you to train them. I want the scholars and the source to train them, and at the end of three years, we'll pick the best. And this is where it comes into how you connect with your culture without compromising. Look at what the four boys do. Look at what Daniel does, starting in verse 8 in the first chapter. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I, I fear... My lord, the king, who, was a, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. You'd, I'd get killed for disobeying. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over, and here's their Jewish names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, test your servants for ten days, let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. You see what he did there? When they were asked to be, when they were taken out of their slavery and their prison to be a part of this elite team for the king to be trained, they didn't say no. They didn't stick their head in the ground and say, no, 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 no. Pagan, pagan, pagan. They went. They followed the king. They dressed in Babylonian clothes. They took new names, Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They took on the culture, but they didn't compromise. Eat the king's meat, drink the king's wine, and Daniel said, I can't go that far. 
I won't eat, we won't eat the king's meat because the king's meat wasn't just... Now, West Texans don't like this story very much because who could eat vegetables for three years in West Texas? Somebody. But he said, I can't eat that meat because it would defile me. I'm raised as a Jewish young... We're raised as good Jewish kids. Levitical law, Mosaic law says we can't eat meat sacrificed to idols. That's where this meat came from. It had been sacrificed to Baal. We can't eat meat that's been strangled in its own blood. That's how they made it. We can't eat of the uh, uncloven hoof. We can't eat pork. We can't eat that food. It's unclean. It will defile us. Please. And the eunuch said, I'm not sure about this. We don't want to drink from the wine table, that strong drink, and, and, and live like elite people. That's not our way. Just give us water and vegetables. Watch what God does. Trust us. He says, I'll give it 10 days trying out of the three years. So I'll give it 10 days. And look what happened. I mean, th- this is fantastic, isn't it? So the steward, looks, uh, so he listened to them back in 14. He listened to them in, in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. It wasn't the vegetables. It was the Holy Spirit. So the steward took away their food and the wine to drink and gave them vegetables. As for the four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in visions and dreams. At the end of this three years, the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And look at the result. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found to be like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and all the enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the year, first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. Look at what happened there. Because they connected and became part of the culture that God had intentionally placed them in because they didn't isolate and turtle. Then, but they also didn't defy them, defile themselves. They didn't displease God. They didn't deny the real true king of kings was. And because of that wonderful connection of being in the world but not of it, they won. They changed. They were the Baylor University of their time. They won, not like Howard Sun's basketball team apparently, but I won't go there because they've been trying hard. But these guys, they won it all. In fact, not only did they defeat the other youths, and be chosen to be in the cabinet of Nebuchadnezzar. They even were better than the magicians and sorcerers who were a part of his cabinet. They became rulers. In fact, Daniel becomes, this Jewish kid, becomes the governor of the province of Babylon. He begins to tell Nebuchadnezzar. He begins to impact his life. He writes his own book. He sees the end of time. We're reading about him now. He was the one, he wrote the book, The Magi, read to find, to follow the star, to find the Messiah. He ch- they changed the culture without changing themselves. How do we do that? That's the challenge. That's what Jesus says it should look like. When I left, uh, after I had, gosh, 27 years now, praise the Lord, after I was in ministry and in youth ministry for 20 years, I went through a divorce, lost my ministry, my wife, my family, everything for a while, and and was a broken person. And I left full-time ministry, I thought, forever, and I went into the pharmaceutical industry. Somebody said I went from keeping kids off drugs to try to get as many people on drugs as possible. (laughs) I was in a new culture. It was a new world. Pfizer, the, most, the biggest pharmaceutical company still in the world. 
they took 300 of us to New York, to this training facility outside of New York City. And it was crazy. It was like Vegas under, you know, under a company. It was, it was a huge hotel, and it had its own training room, and it had restaurants, and had free open bars. And, and, and all, you know, there were 300 of us, but 80% of these kids were in their 20s and 30s, and they were the best of the best. They were... Uh, beauty queens from Texas and, and cheerleaders from the University of Georgia and, and, and NFL quarterbacks and, and Victoria's Secret models and then me. <laughs> like, how did I get here, God? And it was a dangerous environment. I went from working in full-time ministry to all of a sudden I'm in Sodom and Gomorrah and Las Vegas and New Orleans all wrapped up together. And it was difficult. Now, some of my Christian friends took the turtle route. They just kind of did their thing. And at night, they would take their food, and they'd go into the room, and they'd stay there and isolate and didn't get to know anybody. But I just heard the Lord saying, no, be salt and light. I remember what St. Francis of Assisi said, go and make disciples, or uh, excuse me, go and spread the gospel. If necessary, use words. So I didn't come in with the big Christian cross, and I didn't come in saying I'm a pastor, I'm ordained. I just said, I'm Kim. And I would go afterwards. They would work hard and study hard and they play hard. They had the Beach Boys there one time. They had, uh, they had Bill Cosby there of all things one time. They had, they had John Mayer there. It was unbelievable. Young people with credit and open bar. And I'm like, what, what do I do here? I would eat and I would go hang out a little bit in the bar. But about 10 o'clock we started getting, not one drink, but 10, five drinks. People started getting drunk. I just kind of say, hey, I'm going to go back and study. I'm older than you guys. I got I to gotta go to bed. Didn't, didn't say you pagans. I'm going to go to bed. Or when the guy said, let's go to the strip club, I go, hey, I'm going to go call my kids, you know. Or uh, when guys started hitting on women, and I'd say, hey, how's your wife? <laughs> they didn't like that. Or when, uh, <clears throat> when they started telling racist jokes or sexist jokes, I would change the subject. And pretty soon, at first, they kind of laughed at me, but then they started calling me Father Kim. Then they would call me from the bar where they were too drunk to drive home and say, can you come get us? Put my clothes back on and go get them. All the way there, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. You know, that whole routine. Or then they would come the next day after they'd done something stupid and put their marriage in trouble and, and come to me and say, pray for me, what can I do? Pretty soon we started a little Bible study in one of the hotel rooms at night. They called me Chaplain Kim. Even my district manager, who was a wild pagan man, using the Lord's name in vain all the time, I didn't tell him I was a pastor. I didn't try to preach to him. I just did my best, like Daniel did. And I'm not a great salesman, but God blessed it. And the one year I won the top award in the country, he said, I trust you now. I want to know more about this Jesus. And I got to share Jesus with him. And he was involved in the church now. We're still friends. It's that difficult thing. And I'm not great at this. I failed many times. But how do we get in the culture without being compromised, without defying ourselves, denying Jesus, displeasing God? What are some examples Let's look at this. Maybe some ways we can be amphibious versus spiritually, and spiritually ambidextrous versus either a turtle or a chameleon. First, to be not of the world. How, do we, how can we be in the world but not of the world? A couple of thoughts. One is immerse yourself in Scripture, prayer, meditation. Scripture says, Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We've got to know our Scriptures. Don't learn it vicariously through somebody else or through a class or through some great teacher. You and I need to know the Scriptures. Have time in prayer and meditation so that we can handle the world. Next, be active in worship. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us not forsake meeting together as is the habit of some, but let us spur one another unto love and good deeds all the more as you see the day drawing near, you cannot make it without a local church. If you're not involved in a local church consistently, you're not able to be a mature Christian. <laughs> the average 
churchgoer today, this, this, day, this age goes to church 11 times a year out of 52 Sundays. That's not being involved in worship. We love and thank God for, for online stuff and streaming and we were exposed to more people. But guess what? You can't have the same experience without being in the body of Christ, in the house of God, with brothers and sisters in Christ, and taking sacraments and hearing the word of God. It's just not the same. If you can't come, we get it. It's better than nothing, but come back to church. It's time to come back if you're safe. Also be engaged in Christian community. You can't just be like Murray says, a caterpillar believer, crawl in and crawl out on Easter and Christmas. Be engaged in the Christian community. We don't do a lot of things like the big churches in town. We don't have all the smokes and mirrors, God bless them. We're not that church, but we are where you can be known, where you can plug in, where people know if you're not here, especially Murray, he'll call you, but where we're known, and people know where you are and what you're doing, what's going on. That's the community. Bonhoeffer says this in his book, Life Together. Let him who cannot be alone be aware of community. But let him who is not in community beware of being alone. You've got to be a part of the Christian community. What else? Submit yourself to others and to accountability. Who knows who you really are? Who knows when you're humiliating too much, when you're too much like the world and you've got some problems? Who knows when you're hibernating and not out there in the world? Who can sharpen you as iron sharpens iron? A triad, a brother or sister, someone that's going to say, what are you doing? This is not good. I love you too much to let you do this. Another suggestion, resist worldly temptation in the name of Jesus. What's your Achilles heel? What strongholds does Satan have? What's your besetting sin? What's your, what's, your, what's your problem that keeps you from having a strong witness? Get help. Ask the Lord. Get in the body of Christ. So then how do we, if we're not of the world, then how do we get in the world safely? How can we involve in the world quickly? It's a great book that Howard's been using for our um, elders and for our church called Breaking the Huddle, the Holy Huddle. There's some great stuff in here, even about how to walk a person through a spiritual relationship. But he says this, I love this, about how can we be salt and light? How can we uh, make a difference and not be of the world, but be in it? He says this, recognize God moments. Look for God moments. Excuse me, expect God moments. Recognize God moments. Respond to God moments. I think I have that. Recognize God moments, expect God moments, recognize God moments, respond to them. What's a God moment? David Paul Tripp, the writer of New Morning Mercy, says, God will put speed bumps in your life. That we're going this way and we have our schedule and we are multitasking and we've got to be at this place and we're zooming along and all of a sudden, speed bump, speed bump, speed bump. They slow you down. They make you think. They rattle you up. God's going to put speed bumps in your life if you let him. A ministry, a person, a thing where you're like, stop. Pray for this person. Talk to that person in the grocery store. Stop and talk to that person at church. Go to that person's house. Go to your neighbor. They're going to show up. And if we're so caught up in our own lives, we're going to miss the speed bumps. I had a tough speed bump <laughs> Wednesday night. Busy, Wednesday's busy for me, for us here. 5.45, people start show up, coming up for small groups, and we're running small groups around the city. People start dropping their kids off, our children's ministry. We go to 5.45, we do that small group. Howard's teaching, other people are teaching. Then we go from there to middle school, A&O, from middle school, A&O, to high school. And at 10.30, I'm driving into my driveway. It's a long night. Sure enough, speed bump. <laughs> Always happens when I have to preach about it, right? This woman comes into our church about 5.30 when she's like, she kind of slips in without asking, slips in behind another well-meaning church member, and... Murray's gone. We're like, Murray's our guy for street people. We love. We want to be there. And he just, no, she's not here. Charlotte's not here. Howard's doing his thing. He's busy. And jo Joyce comes to me and says, I need a pastor. I'm like, uh, you want to go to the other church? <laughs> this church Christ? No, I need a pastor. 
I'm looking at, I'm going, okay, I come in on this, this woman. She has her hair is shaved to the skull except for some patches. She's got maybe a bra on, barely pants on, scars, bruises, itchy, the whole thing. I've seen it before in meth areas. And I said, well, what's your name? He says, my name is Cherub. Okay. How can we help you? Well, help's really kind of the cosmic existential thing, isn't it? We all need help. I'm like, okay, whoa. Are you safe? Well, is anybody really safe? What did it say? Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm kind of getting impatient. Are you in danger? Well, we're all in danger, aren't we? Well, yeah. <laughs> just, I'm just, if I said, what, what do you need? She goes, well, I need a shower. I said, don't have a shower, but, you know, Joyce, here's some wet wipes and here's some towels. And I gave her some baby powder. And she went to the bathroom here. She came out. She'd taken a whole jar of baby powder and just dumped it on her head and walked back out. Now I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Kids are going to be screaming. It's the night of the living dead. And I go, well, how can we help you? We gave her food. We gave her water. And she's like, well, can you? I said, we're, we're close. I don't know what else to do for you. And she said, well, you, can you take me somewhere? And I'm like, oh, Lord, really? Okay, where do you want to go? We'll take you down to the Salvation Army. Anna, I call Anna and say, Anna, I need you to ride with me. She's, she walks out and she goes, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Gets in the car. We drive down to Salvation Army. And I'm angry. Lord, really? Really, Lord? I've got to, I'm supposed to be doing ministry. And I heard it clearly. This is the ministry. This is ministry. This is what you're supposed to be about. It's a long night. We could help her only so much, but I was convicted by that, that I was not recognizing a God moment. What is your God moment? Are you recognizing God moments? Slow down. Get in the world and be involved. 1 Peter 3.15 says it like this. In your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. But do this with gentleness and reverence. Know Christ. Don't be in the world. Don't be of the world, but be in the world. Be ready when someone looks at your life because it's so different because you're not underground hiding and because you're not looking just like everybody else. People are going to want to know, tell me about this Jesus. So where are you? Are you an isolated turtle? Are you chameleating? Are you, or can we be amphibious? Are you not in it or of it? Ask God, who, where, why? Give me, give me this week, Lord, a God moment. Are you too of it and too in it? Confess and ask God to make you more like him in that area. Walk away, repent, get help. Just closing real quick. It's getting time, getting pool time. And I always love getting somebody in a pool and get the raft getting in the middle of the water and just get, or get in the lake when I go to Lake Travis in Austin. Get in there and just float. But sometimes the raft, either the valve wasn't tight enough or I ran it into a tree or a, a cactus and just start sinking, getting wet, and I start leaking. D.L. Moody, when he was asked, do you have the Holy Spirit? He says, yeah, but sometimes I leak. <laughs> Sometimes I leak. You've got to get in the water. You've got to, the gospel is the platform to get in the water. Get in the pool. Pool's open. Get in the pool with people. But listen for your leaks. Listen for the Holy Spirit to say, you need some patches. But keep floating. Keep getting out there. Remember that Jesus Christ, he didn't hide in heaven and stay unknown. He became a man, became one of us. He came to earth and we killed him. We buried him in the ground. But guess what? He popped back up, didn't he? He came back. But he leaked from you and I. By his blood, we are saved. What are you going to do? Ask God if you're too isolated to get immersed. And ask God if you're too much like the world, assimilated to be different. Confess. I'll close with one of my favorite quotes. There are those who love to live within the sound of Mission Bell. But as for me, I'll build a rescue shop 
within a yard of hell. May it be so. God bless.